Howell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us on a Friday afternoon. All right, here, here's one of the, the object lessons um, about international politics. And everybody, I guess the, the takeaway of this is everybody wants something. Sweden and Finland have wanted to join NATO. All right. Ever since the, all the problems broke out in the Ukraine and NATO members, as a general rule, have wanted them in. Turkey has been objecting to this. Turkey's been saying, OK, we're we might we might block this entry. The United States doesn't want that. Much of Europe doesn't want that. So here's the breaking news. The Biden administration is apparently going to go to Congress seeking approval to sell F-16 jets to Turkey. Why are they going to go seek the approval to sell F-16 jets to Turkey? Because that's really what the quid pro quo is. That's what Turkey wants in exchange for dropping their objections to Sweden and Finland getting into NATO. So they've seen this as an opportunity to get these fighter jets that they want. Now, I take no position on whether it's a good idea or a bad idea to sell F-16 fighter jets to Turkey. But at the same time, you understand this is the dynamic, and it's one hand washes the other. Turkey wants the jets, and if NATO wants to have Sweden and Finland without Turkey objecting, this is what the price is, and Biden is going to Congress to get that. Let us get started. A lot of ground to cover on today's program. The Milwaukee Police Department yesterday confirmed that in 2021 and 2022, thieves stole a total of 1,600 guns from vehicles on the streets of the city of Milwaukee. 1,600 guns over a two-year period. Now, we talked a little bit about something related a couple weeks ago. I was telling the story about how I went, it was a Tuesday night, uh, a few weeks ago, I went to the Marquette Seton Hall basketball game downtown at, at Fiserv. And it, th- this wasn't an issue for us because we parked our car in the parking structure. I think it was $30 or something, but it wasn't close. I wanted to park in a secure spot, didn't want to have to worry about anything happening to my car. Well, that same night that we spent the 30 bucks to park in the uh, parking garage, I, I heard, I got reports, I got emails and texts from a number of people who went to the same game or were down in the Deer District, and they reported that they came out after the game or after the event that they were at or after the bar or whatever, and they found just rows and rows of cars that had been broken into and vandalized. The cars had not been stolen. But what happened is the windows had been busted out and the glove box was open, the glove compartment was open, and they had been rifled through. Well, it's now pretty clear what's happening. The people who are doing this are busting into the cars, not necessarily with the intent to steal them. Now, that goes on as well. But they're busting into the cars with the intent to see if there are guns in the cars that they can steal. And this has been happening in the downtown area. It's been happening in the third ward. Um, and, and again, people are coming out to their cars and they're saying, 
oh my gosh, that the car's been broken into, but but stuff's not gone. It's just rifled through. And that's because they don't have guns in the cars. If there was a gun left in the car, that gun would presumably be stolen. But you have these these thieves who are now saying, well, we don't know if there's a gun in the car or not, so what we're going to do is just going to break out the window and we're going to look and see. And, I mean, I have no idea how many cars over the last two years have been vandalized by people looking for guns, but MPD says 1,600 guns were stolen from vehicles. So this is clearly what criminals are looking to do. All right, so this is, it is obviously an issue, but the problem, of course, is that thieves don't know whether you have a gun in your car or not, right? You don't put a sign up on your car saying, I am a concealed carry holder and I am packing heat and it's <clears throat> the firearm is under the seat. The only way to find out if you have a firearm in your vehicle is to bust into the vehicle and see if you have it there or not, right? I mean, that's just an, unless you've got the gun in plain sight. And I don't think anybody, you know, leaves the gun <clears throat> in plain sight. So the Milwaukee Police Department is issuing a warning to people who park their cars downtown. They say, first of all, we want we want, want to advise owners that they should park, number one, in secure areas. Park in a secure area. And number two, we want to advise people that we believe they should leave their firearms at home. Yep, that's the headline of the story on uh, Channel 12. Milwaukee Police Department is warning car owners to, one, park their car in secure areas, and number two, to leave their firearms at home. And then the police chief saying, hey, we've seen more and more of this. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, my question is, how helpful is this advice? Park in a secure area. Well, what, what does that mean? Right. I mean, I understand if if you've got the choice of spending 30 bucks to park, you know, in the parking structure at Pfizer Forum for the basic for the basketball game instead of leaving it on the seat. Oh, OK, that that's fine. But if you've got to park your car on the street, w- what does it mean to say find a secure area? And secondly, as far as saying leave your firearms at home, I guess I've got two questions. First of all, what good is that going to do? Because, like I say, the bad guys don't know whether there's a gun in the car or not until they've broken into it and they've started looking through it. Secondly, what? how helpful is it to tell people, leave your firearms at home? I mean, obviously, if you are a concealed carry holder, for example, and you're driving around with a firearm in your car, you have a reason for it. Are, are you going to listen to instructions that say, Leave the gun at home. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Might I argue that a more constructive approach would be to say, we have had enough of cars being vandalized and stolen on the street. So we, the Milwaukee Police Department, the city of Milwaukee, with the blessing of politicians, we are going to increase the number of cops on the street. We're going to increase the police presence. We are not going to tolerate people breaking into cars for whatever reason. 855-616-1620. Would that be a more constructive thing to say as opposed to well try to park your car in a secure area which presumably means not on the street and and leave your guns at home well that doesn't tell you anything 855-616-1620 to me this instruction is absolutely no help what do you think we discuss in a moment 
855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. If you're just tuning in, Milwaukee police say approximately 1,600 guns were stolen from vehicles during 2021 and 2022. Okay, fine. The number of cars that have been broken into is astronomically higher than that. And there's now these stories about how, including in the last couple weeks, thieves are just going down the street, busting out windows of cars, breaking into the cars, rifling through them, not to steal the cars, but rather looking to see if there are guns. And the, the police department's response is, well, car owners should park in a secure area, which if if you're parking your car on the street to go to a restaurant or something, I what, what do you mean park in a secure area? How do you do that? And secondly, they're telling people to leave their firearms at home, which to me candidly makes no sense at all, because first of all, you, if people are carrying guns in their cars legally, legally, there is typically a reason why they're choosing to do that. And And how could we tell people, well, don't don't do something you're legally entitled to do. But secondly, the thieves don't know if there's a gun in the car or, or not. That's that's why they're breaking into the car. So unless unless there is a law that says you can't carry a gun in a car legally, and the, the law isn't that, that's not what it says, telling people will leave their guns at home doesn't make any difference. They're still going to get their cars busted into. So to me, m- maybe the response should have been. We realize this is a problem. We're sick of people having their cars vandalized. We are going to redouble and re-triple our efforts, triple our efforts to make sure that this doesn't happen, which means, you know, we're going to be aggressive on patrols. And when we see people doing this, we're going to arrest them, and then we're going to expect them to be prosecuted and sent to jail. Let's start with Chris in Sheboygan. Chris, you're on WTMJ. How you doing, Jeff? Good, Chris. What do you think? I agree with you 100%, sir. Uh, long-time listener. Love your show. Love your your, how, your input. Very smart man. Um, I'm a service manager in Sheboygan. I have the Kohler, for example, a lot of high-ranking representatives and people that work there, told me flat out to my face, we won't go to Milwaukee anymore. We're not going to go to X game. We're not going to go to X bar, X restaurant because of uh, all the cars being broken into and you know the things that go on down there and the cops doing nothing. Another thing uh, I mentioned to your screener, I was either yesterday or the day before you had mentioned the, the Cavalier Johnson and the Office of Violence Prevention, et cetera, et cetera. Chief Norman had a meeting about how to start to curb crime and how we got to get illegal guns, quotations, mm-hmm. off the streets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This would have been a golden opportunity, sir, to take advantage of that stepping stone. Like you just stated, what, five seconds ago, we're going to start enforcing this, we're going to that, we're going to the other thing. Here's what we're going to do instead of totally throwing away an opportunity to let the criminals know here's what we're going to do they literally are basically without saying this it's okay guys keep doing what you're doing we're going to tell the people that are bringing the money down you should do this instead of focusing on the crime and or criminal and or the problem yep they're pushing people out and it's killing downtown you've said it yourself sir it's killing the businesses downtown they're begging for more and people just aren't coming and yeah, no, thank, thanks for, about it. It's sad, yeah, brother. You, it's sad. You're right. No, Chris, thank, thanks for calling. You're, 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 you are absolutely right to, to an extent. I mean, this is, <clears throat> in some respects, this is like one of our textures points out, this is like uh, Kias and Hyundais get stolen. So rather than worried about the, worry about the fact that you've got car thieves that are out on the street, we're, we're going to go after the manufacturers of Kia and Hyundais. This is sort of like 
what's happened now where, where we tell people you can't warm up your car in your driveway because it's going to be stolen. Now, that that may be good advice. Now, it, it, here, again, because people don't know whether there's a gun in a car or not, they're still going to break into the car until they're caught. I mean, it might be good advice to tell somebody, okay, don't let your car warm up in your driveway because somebody's going to come around and steal it. But at the same time, what does that say? Shouldn't we be saying, no, we want a community where you can warm up your car in your driveway without worrying about some pirate coming by and stealing the car if you, hey, I forgot my cell phone, I've got my kid in the back seat of the car, remember that story? I'm going to run in for 30 seconds to grab my cell phone, and boom, my car is gone. I mean, shouldn't that be what we are saying? Seriously, we, we want to have a community where if you want to warm up your car in your driveway, you can. I mean, what is what is next? If you have houses that are being busted into, and is it going to be your fault because you're, you left your door unlocked or you didn't latch your window or whatever? And again, it, it may be good advice to do this, but at the same time, that's not the problem. And we shouldn't be able to normalize the problem. And as far as telling people to park in secure areas, I don't for the life of me know what that means. Yeah, I, I understand if you come to a basketball game, if that means, okay, spend the 30 bucks and park in the parking structure, I, I get it. That's fine. If it means you're going downtown to a restaurant, there are some restaurants that have valet parking and controlled areas, That that's fine. But what what, what, when you say secure spot, what does that mean if, you know, you're going to a restaurant downtown or a store or whatever, and there, there's not secure lots in the immediate area? You're not supposed to park on the street anymore? How did we get to that point? Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. Sure. Um, thanks. I just wanted to say that I think, sure, putting out the flyer, that is, uh, it doesn't hurt anything, and it's good to make people aware, but ultimately uh, how big of an effect it's going to have, I don't think it's, it's going to have much. I think putting police out in patrols is huge. I'm a big supporter of that, but I don't think it's going to be effective if the the district attorney's office isn't in support of uh, charging or holding these people accountable. Because ultimately, it's a revolving cycle. I would, I would imagine that a lot of these people that are breaking in the cars are repeat yep. offenders, or they're people that have done it in the past. They're a very small percentage of people, and they've they've just been very lenient on them and allowed them to continue doing this. Um, Mike, th- thanks for call. I I agree with you completely. I mean, it's, I I find it. I, I think you're probably correct that the people. Who are doing this, whether it's gangs, and, and my guess is there, there's like gang involvement as well. It's people who are doing this repeatedly. It's okay, tonight's the night, there's a, there's a Marquette game by Fiserv. So we know that there's going to be a lot of cars parked on this street or that street because people are trying to get the free parking or whatever. Let's go hit this one up. Or, you know, there, there's a residential neighborhood. One of our texters just said, Jeff, four cars stolen in Bayview one night last week. Cars broken into every night this week. Where are the police and i think i mean that's that is a fair level now maybe this means we need more cops and and i'm a big proponent of that but the bottom line is if you're going to have a livable community it if you say park in a secure area okay does that mean well you you got to park your car in your garage well okay what if you don't have a, a garage and you're certainly like i say a lot of times if you're coming downtown to go to restaurants and stuff you know maybe there's secure parking lots around but you know, does that mean we're now saying it, it's too dangerous for people to park on the streets? No, the response needs to be, we are not going to tolerate this. Now, there are things that you can do when you're parking, you know, 
consider to, if you can find a secure location, we encourage you to do that. Wouldn't argue with that. But the bigger problem is, you, where is the effort and the commitment to get the bad guys off the streets? And again, I, I, when I see this, they tell people, well, leave your guns at home. Don't put your guns in the car. How, how does that solve anything if the bad guys don't know whether the car is, whether the, there's a gun in the car or not? Jeff, the police and city officials need to step up and do their jobs. That's why we trust them to do it. If they don't, Milwaukee is going to be the next uh, Detroit. Jeff, my husband is a longtime carpenter and has built a lot of stuff in downtown Milwaukee. They've had other carpenters have their vehicles stolen right in the middle of their workday. Where are they supposed to park for work? There is no secure parking when you're on a brand new job site. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Jeff, what happened to nobody's above the law? Um, well, I think that's a good question as well. Um, Jeff, I have not driven or been downtown since last July because of the thefts or vandalism. And the only reason why I was there in July was because one of my favorite bands was playing. Jeff, ask the mayor respectfully to honor his promise to the city. He promised to put more cops on the street. What's happened? Well, the cops have been cut. Jeff, the politicians are choosing to cater to the criminals. Um, right. That's that's what the element is. What you need to do is you need to, you know, give people the message saying we're not going to tolerate this. And it, it's not a victimless crime. I mean, just OK, you, you come out. Imagine that. And I, I got again, I got a number of emails after that Marquette game from people who parked in the area who had their, their cars vandalized. And they come You come out. You've had a nice night. You've enjoyed the basketball game or whatever. It's nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. You come back. Your window is caved in. So, first of all, there's that intrusion into your privacy. You got to figure out, OK, you know, how am I going to get this fixed? How much um, is it going to cost me? What's the time delay? All of these different things that are out there. We deserve better. And with all due respect to the police chief, who I like, the city of Milwaukee and people who come to Milwaukee deserve better than to be told, well, find a secure spot and leave your guns at home. Just saying. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm in a band that gets asked to play in downtown venues. And as a band, we've decided to no longer play these gigs at night. It's too dangerous to my band, to my band members in unloading and loading equipment after dark. Right. And, and, and so the response is, well, we'll park in a secure area. Okay. Well, you know, that's, that's well and good. You got to park on the street. Here, look, here's the bottom line. It's not the fault of the citizens that they are parking on the streets. It's not the fault of citizens that as long as they are legally carrying a gun in the car, that they're, that they have that gun. They have the right to do it. The problem is you've got the criminals. And until we say it's the criminals that are the problem, this is our plan to deal with the criminals, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So, very glad to have you with us. All right, so earlier this week, as long as we're talking about the police chief and the mayor, they have this big press conference where they argue that, well, hey, um, are actually our crime numbers are really pretty good. And, and, and it's one of those examples of there, there was a 
Yeah, there used to be like this textbook that they had. I remember when I was in like high school and stuff, and it always it was it was called How to Lie with Statistics, and it just always said that you can take numbers and you can make the numbers mean whatever they want. And so uh, they they have this press conference and they get the headline they want in the local newspaper. Milwaukee's overall crime stats appear to be the reverse of a natural tr- national trend, and it, it talks about how you know the the trend is actually the crime numbers are getting better and, and isn't isn't that great with the exception of homicides and I, I'm at some point in time you wish that there was some critical thinking here now let me back up here 2022 was an all-time record for homicides 214 homicides in the city of Milwaukee 2021 set the previous record of 193, and 2020, it was 190. For non-fatal shootings, in 2021, it was 873. And again, I, I've always, I think you've got to, in many respects, you, as I've argued this, you've got to look at the shooting numbers because anytime somebody get, gets shot, it's but for the grace of God that it, it turns out to be anything other than a homicide. But in 2021, 873. In 2022, 877. So it, it was essentially flat. What happens, though, and what you need to understand is 2021 was an all-time record when it comes to crime. I, I mean, the, the they, they had almost 10,500 cars stolen. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, but that might have been almost double the, the year before that in 2020. So I think what happened in 2022 is the numbers were so awful in 2021 that there's almost no way they, they could go up. And, and so if if it's true that they go down in some categories a little bit in 2022, is it because we're getting a handle on crime or is it just because, well, you know, nothing grows to the sky? You, you get to a certain point where it really almost cannot go up any more than that. And, and I guess that's how I sort of look at it. In 2021, they had. 2,080 robberies in 2022 it was 1,800 so that's down but but again that 1,800 in any other year were it except being compared to 2021 would be like an all-time high same thing is true with aggravated assault 7,118 down from 7,500 but if you would compare that 2022 number to anything other than 2021 it would be just an absolutely enormous number so yeah it's true that the numbers are down slightly but anybody I think that would suggest that this is a pattern and that these numbers are acceptable or anything like that, or that we've turned a corner, I think, with all due respect, they've got their heads in the sand. I mean, these these are incredibly high numbers, and to compare them to, well, to compare them to the, the worst year on record and say they're, they're, they're slightly better, well, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. It's kind of like, <clears throat> let's say you're invested in the stock market, and historically, your stocks have gone up 8% a year, let's say. And then there's a year where the stock market just goes absolutely crazy and you make a whole bunch of money and it's and you, it's gone up 30%. All right, the next year, okay, it goes up 15%. Are, or is it accurate to say, oh, I'm really disappointed, it only went up 15%? No, if you look at the historical norm, you're still doing a lot better. You just didn't, 
You just didn't achieve the goals that you had in this one kind of breakout year. 2021, from the perspective of crime, was like an all-time record crime wave in the city of Milwaukee on all these different levels. And the fact that in some categories it might have gone down slightly, that that really doesn't mean anything. You've got to look at the numbers in terms of the historical norm, and that tells you how bad the problem is. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back... Speaking of how bad the problem is. Okay, let's cut to the chase. We, we've This week we've been consumed with the stories about the, the Biden confidential records. Now, I don't care how you feel about Joe Biden. If you are being honest, he looks awful in connection with this. Here's a guy who goes on 60 Minutes and mocks Donald Trump about, I can't believe how he has these records, and it now turns out that Biden's got records that were in his offices at the University of Pennsylvania, and then it turns out that there's records that he's got in his private garage where he keeps his Corvette. Joe Biden in a Corvette, still, that I can't get past that. But So he, he's got the, these confidential documents, top-secret documents, that are scattered all over. It is not the same as Donald Trump. I fully acknowledge that. But as I've been arguing all week, from a practical perspective, this pretty much guarantees that neither one of them is going to get prosecuted. That That's just it. The second question it raises is, how is it so easy for people to get access to these classified documents and then leave with them? So that's another question. But... The other question then becomes, even if there's not prosecutions, which I don't believe there's going to be, what is the political fallout? Now, at the very least, Joe Biden at best looks like a hypocrite. At worst, he looks like he's clueless and incompetent and had no idea he had the records. But and that's and I think if even if you're the biggest fan of Joe Biden at all, you, you have to agree with that. I mean, you you can argue, well, this is different than Trump and it's not the same level of intent. And he cooperated as soon as they found them and then found more records and then found more records. And, and that might be all all be fair. Maybe it is a little bit different than Trump, but that doesn't change the fact that Joe Biden had classified records that had been stashed for years that he wasn't supposed to have. And presumably he had no clue that he, in fact, had him. Okay, so that's, I think, the fair assessment of this. And even if you want to argue that Trump's situation was worse, it doesn't change the fact that Biden did what he did. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Here is my question. On a scale of 1 to 10, because Joe Biden says he's running again, Well, at least that's what the smart money says. Biden is telling people close to him that he's running again. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being this is nothing, people forget about this right away, and 10 being, oh my gosh, we should be looking at impeachment. Where does this fall on that scheme? 855-616-1620. That is the, the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, keep in mind that we have short memories. Remember, I, and I, I just I, I made this point a couple weeks ago. We spent the better part of three years arguing about Donald Trump's tax return. Trump's tax returns need to be public. We have to see this. It's going to be this big deal. This fight up to the Supreme Court. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars in legal fees spent in trying for the House Ways and Means Committee when it was controlled by Democrats to get access to his tax returns. Finally, they get access to his confidential tax returns and then fall over themselves trying to make these returns public. Okay, so the returns are made public. 
people look at them. It's a one-day story. There's nothing in them. And we've pretty much, like, all moved on. 855-616-1620. How big a deal? How much is this going to hurt Joe Biden politically? And, again, I just... I mean, obviously, if there's indictments that come out, that's a whole different story. I just don't see I don't see this rising to the level of an indictment. But is this going to hurt him moving forward and on a scale of one to ten? What do you think? Eight, five, five, six, one, six, one, six, twenty. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Jeff, regarding the document discoveries, the situation points out a broken system for control over distributing and retrieving confidential documents. Let me stop right there. The, the congregation says amen. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me that this it has it has to happen. It sounds as if there are no procedure in place for control over these documents, which is a big, as big a concern as the political capital lost by Biden and Trump. Who knows what documents prior administrations have and how they are being, quote, secured. Well, that that's that's right. You don't know what else Biden has because Biden said he didn't know he know had this stuff. At least with Trump, they knew that they had these various records. Biden had no clue that he'd been sitting on these records for, what, six-plus years. And I think that is a fair conversation. How is it that you can get access to these classified documents and that there's no retrieval form that says, okay, you know, now that you're leaving office, you have to give these back. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I was a flight simulator tech instructor in the early 1970s. If I had mishandled any of the material we used, I'd still be in Leavenworth. Well, I th- there might be evidence of double standards. Jeff, the White House needs a Dewey Decimal System and a librarian. Jeff, I think this will hurt him with impartial, middle-of-the-spectrum voters. But with his base that hates Trump, they're deranged. They can't see past that hatred for Trump. So Biden would be fine with them. Jeff, I think this is a 10. It is worse that he didn't even know he had them. What else does he have and what else doesn't he remember jeff i agree no criminal charges will be brought forward um i do believe that the democrats are interested in moving mr joe biden along and once he suggested he was seriously considering running for re-election that sealed his fate with the party time to move on from joe and seek another candidate for the 2024 election okay so here i here's how i see it i i don't do i think this is a 10 no do i think it's three or a four, maybe. And and here's why from a political perspective. Let us assume that Donald Trump is not the Republican nominee. And I I think that is a fair assumption. You might disagree with me. I might be wrong about that, but I don't think that's the case. Let us assume it is somebody other than Donald Trump that is running. Then that person has a clear reign to run those ads. You show the picture of, uh, you, you pull the piece of you know joe biden on 60 minutes ridiculing trump how can you do something like this this is unconscionable and then you intersperse that with you know joe biden in his corvette saying well i mean it's it's they were in a locked garage okay they were with my corvette it's not like they were sitting on the street um (laughs) so um his his Corvette is safe and sound, and the classified documents, well, as long as they're with his Corvette, they're safe. I'm just saying, you run that ad. Now, Trump can't run that ad, but some other Republican runs that ad. It makes Joe Biden look absolutely ridiculous. So it's, I mean, I 
I don't know from the perspective of, is this an impeachable offense? No, I don't think it's that. Is this something you put him in prison for? No. But if he is the nominee, I guarantee you, if part of the theory of the 2024 campaign is to portray Joe Biden as sort of clueless and maybe kind of out of touch, that's, you know, that's, I think, what you are going to see. Tom in Appleton. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I just Hi, want to point out a few things, please. Um, the President of the United States can move classified documentation, okay? He brought it to Mar-a-Lago. They went to his house initially and told him to put a lock on where the documents were. This is this is what I heard, okay? You know, media, I don't know. Yo, Tom, so let me, let me stop. Tom, 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 let me stop you. I, I don't want to talk about... I don't want to talk about Trump right now. I want to talk about Biden moving forward. How how much how much does this hurt Biden moving forward? Okay, then to me it depends what the documents are. Whether there's okay. five, ten, twenty. I mean, it depends what's in those documents. And as a VP, he doesn't have the right to move classified documents anywhere. So mm-hmm. those two points I just wanted to to, to tell. Good enough. Okay, thanks. I, I appreciate. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for call, Tom. And again, I, I don't. You know, we, we've talked over the last couple of days about, you know, how does this equate to Donald Trump and things like that. I, I want to move past Trump. I just want to talk about what you think is the political ramifications moving forward if Joe Biden runs and is the nominee. Does this hurt him? And and do I think this is a crippling blow? No, but I think. If unless you are, I mean, have just completely drank the Kool Aid, you've got to understand that this this is not a good look, and the responses that he's had is not a good look either. No, look, I mean, here's here. I don't think there was any sort of criminal culpability. My guess is Biden leaves. He's got this stuff sitting around his office when he leaves the vice presidency. They package all this stuff up. It gets sent to these different places. My guess is Biden didn't have a clue that he had these various documents. I, that, that's just that's my guess, but that doesn't mean he was entitled to have it. Jeff, I think the only thing this does is it ends the quest to prosecute Trump. I agree. My prediction is the investigation will result in a statement like this. While we acknowledge rules and procedures were not followed, there was no criminal intent, we are recommending the procedures for handling classified documents be reviewed and changes be made to ensure that this doesn't happen in the future. That texter, I think, is very, very smart. I would not be surprised to see that um that along with it jeff biden does not even come close to trump's level of questionable actions why do you even try to compare the two i I compare the two because they both are in possession of classified documents that they were not supposed to have that that's that's the the bottom line and i acknowledge that the circumstances are, are different they always are but it doesn't change the fact that joe biden now had records and merrick garland looks this is this is a practical matter, is a nightmare for the attorney general, because there is no way I think that you can now go ahead and try to bring a criminal case against Donald Trump when the president of the United States, you know, the guy who is your boss, has done similar, not identical, but similar sorts of things. That's why I actually think the texture before just kind of nailed it. The way this all wraps up is 
These documents were handled inappropriately. It was sloppy. We, you know, are calling for changes. But if that's I think that's just the the best thing. Jeff, the best thing Biden can do for Republicans is announce he's running for reelection in 2024. Um, Jeff, this doesn't hurt his chances. Ah, his mental deficiencies will, sadly. Well, this I, I'm not I don't. I don't know when you would say mental deficiencies, but this plays into that. I mean, there, there's no question about it. You know, this plays into that because the effect of this is to say, okay, if Joe's defense is, I didn't know I had him. Mm, I didn't know I had him. Well, what what is what is that? Tell you, Jeff, this doesn't sway anyone's opinion. Not enough to change how people vote. Well, I don't know. As far as independents go, I mean, right, if if you're a hardcore Democrat, if you're a Democrat, you're not going to vote for the Republican nominee and vice versa over an issue like this. But for for those people who are independents, I, I think, again, imagine the TV ad. Imagine that 30-second ad that I, I just outlined. Joe Biden just ripping on Donald Trump on, on national TV on 60 Minutes. This is irresponsible, blah, 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 blah. And then there's Joe Biden and his Corvette, and you've got the classified documents that are in there. Tell me that wouldn't make a great 30-second ad. We move on in the next segment of the program for all of... For all of the Democrats that I have infuriated in this last segment where I talk about how I I think it does certainly doesn't help Joe Biden. Well, I think I might irritate some Republicans coming up next. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So Alice Cooper is coming to Milwaukee in May. Interestingly, Alice Cooper wasn't really Alice Cooper. It's this fascinating sort of story about showbiz and things like that. The Al- the band was original. Well, here's the background. The, the guy who is Alice Cooper, he's now changed his name, but he, he grew up, his name was Vince Fernier. And he was a high school kid in Arizona, in Phoenix. And he and a bunch of his his buddies got together. Hey, man, they got together and they formed a band in 1964. The band was originally called the Earwigs. And then, then they became the Spiders. And then after they graduated from high school, they became a group. They moved to Los Angeles to try to make it big, and they became a band called Naz, N-A-Z-Z. Then they found out that Todd Rundgren, he had a band called Naz, so they had to change it. And so they changed the name of the band from Naz to Alice Cooper. And so Alice Cooper wasn't a person. Alice Cooper was the band. It was the Alice Cooper Band. The lead singer, Vince, he adopted and adapted the personality of Alice Cooper, but he wasn't really Alice Cooper. And they had all these hits and things like that. Well, you know, what happened is 1974, as frequently happens after like five or six years of success, they the band breaks up because of lots of different problems, chemical dependency, things like that. So the Alice Cooper band is no more. So what happens is Vince Furnier, 
the lead singer of Alice Cooper, he decides he wants to continue as a social as a as a solo act, and he wants to use the name Alice Cooper. The band objects. They say, "No, man, we're the Alice Cooper Band. You you can't do that." So he legally changes his name <clears throat> to Alice Cooper, and then a judge rules, "Okay, since you are Alice Cooper, you can bill yourself as Alice Cooper, even though it's not the Alice Cooper Band." And so Vince Furnier has been performing as Alice Cooper since 1975, and I, I'm sure when he does the show, he does all the old stuff and things like that. Oh, I've seen the, I've seen. I have seen Alex Alice Cooper the singer a couple times and I saw Alice Cooper the original band once in the mid 19 early 1970s and put on a really really good show but anyhow he's coming to Milwaukee it's one of these interesting sort of things about how how does this develop and in this case it was Vince who decided I want to continue and I want to use the name and so I'm going to legally change my name so my bandmates who I'm no longer performing with can't be upset. Go figure. All right, in the last segment of the program, I told you how I I just don't see how this document scandal, the document issue, I, I don't see how it can help Joe Biden. We can argue about how much it hurts him, but let's face it. I mean, it makes him look awful. And you can argue, oh, it's not as bad as what Trump did or what, whatever. That, that's fine. But here you have a guy that was on a high, his high horse, you know, ripping the former president about him possessing documents. And now it turns out that he's got a bunch of documents himself. There's no way you can spin that as a positive, And it's going to dog Biden for a little bit. Is it something that would come up to kill his nomination if he decides to run again and Democrats vote for him? No, but it's going to be an embarrassment that makes him look, like I say, clueless at best, incompetent at worst. All right, let's flip the side of the aisle. And I always, you know, in all the years I've been doing this radio program, one of my standards has been, how would this be treated if it was a liberal this is the way conservatives are treating this because if somebody's getting ripped in the mainstream media and he's a conservative if this were a liberal how would it be treated and that, that's always been the standard and i have tried to explore and expose double standards in media coverage over the years because i believe there is a double standard at the same time right is right and wrong is wrong George Santos, and I, I think you know everybody knows Santos. He is the first-term Republican congressman from New York who won. He, he picked up a seat that was held by a Democrat. So he was one of this seat was one of the seats that the Republicans needed in order to take control of the House of Representatives. It now turns out that George Santos is a complete and total fraud. Now, hear me out here. I understand that politicians embellish their records. And if you don't like that word, all right, I understand that politicians from time to time lie about their background and make claims which you can say are puffing or you can say maybe it's untrue. I mean, Elizabeth Warren claiming to be of Native American heritage comes to mind. Joe Biden making several of the claims he makes. Oh, I, you know, I graduated at the top of my class or whatever he said about law school. The stuff that turns out to be not true. But, but in the scheme of things, they are relatively small. They are aspects of the politician's background. When it comes to George Santos, he's a complete and total fraud. 
And, and th- I don't know. I don't know that you could have found anything that he said about his background that that was true. I mean, he claimed to have graduated from schools that he didn't attend. He claimed to have been involved in businesses, and he had never done it. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. The guy's entire background is a fraud, and it's built on a lie. Now, because he is a congressman, there can't be a recall. Unlike in Wisconsin, where you know after you've served a certain period of time, your constituents can start a recall, that doesn't exist for federal law. So there, there's no recall provisions that are there. And there's very little that there's very little that other congressmen could do. They, they couldn't stop him from being seated in the first place. You know, you can censure him through the ethics committee and things like that. But there's very little that you can do unless he's convicted of a crime to force him out of office. The only way as a practical matter he leaves office is if he decides to resign himself. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Yesterday, four Republican congressmen from the New York, from New York State, all called upon him to step down. They said, look, you're, you're just, you're damaged goods. You need to resign. Now, this is tough because keep in mind, the Republicans only control the House of Representatives by a margin of, of four votes. So, again, he won, Santos won a swing seat, swing district, and I think the betting money would be if he steps down, you have a special election, chances are a Democrat's going to pick that up, and that reduces the uh, Republicans' margin even more. So that's why some national Republicans, I think, are hesitant to push this. But having said that, if this guy was a Democrat, if George Santos was a Democrat from Madison or Milwaukee, I have to admit I would be spending a segment or two each day talking about how he's got to resign, he cannot be seated, he is an embarrassment and a disgrace, and he's got to go. Well, okay, he's not a Democrat from Wisconsin. He's a Republican from New York, but he is still absolutely an embarrassment and a disgrace, and yeah, I think he's got to go. The decent, honorable thing to do would be to call for him to resign, and I think all Republicans and all Democrats should be joining together in doing it. It's one thing to engage in puffery. It's one thing to embellish your resume. That's not what happened here. 855-616-1620, that's the, that's the our old National Bank talk and text line. Is it time for Santos, for the good of his constituents, the good of the Republican Party, the good of Congress, and the good of the nation. Is it time for him to resign? 855-616-1620. My answer is not just yes, but heck yes. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Look, let, let let us be honest. If you are a conservative and George Santos was a Democrat who had done this, we would be spending a ton of time talking about what an absolute and total disgrace he was and and how he has to go. Well, he's a Republican, but I think the conversation is the same. The guy is a disgrace, and and he has to go. And I I understand 
The, the math is that if he goes and he resigns, what ends up happening is that you have a special election and the Democrats might pick it up and that's one less seat for the majority. I don't care about that. This At some point in time, there's a right and a wrong here. And George Santos serving in Congress, it, to me, is wrong. Jeff, legally, is there a chance that he would have signed something falsifying information that con- could come back on him? <clears throat> My answer is absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think... When they start poking around in his, his finances, I just don't understand it. The guy's essentially been unemployed for most of his life, and somehow he's suddenly gotten, you know, he, he raised millions of dollars for his campaign. There's something there's something really fishy here in connection with this. And, and yeah, I, I think... I think there's undoubtedly a chance that there, there might be some misconduct here. I don't know, but the, the whole thing is so bizarre. Jeff, I think he should resign. I left New York in 2000. I have many friends who live in his district. They are thoroughly embarrassed by all of this. If you look at his district map on the left side, they gerrymandered my block out of his district. I guess they figured I wouldn't vote for him anyways. Uh Jeff, the Republicans just took liar Schiff from the committee for lying. They look like hypocrites keeping Santos. They accused Democrats of two standards. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the that's the element that's that's going on in connection with this. Jeff, of all the jobs I ever had when I signed up the application and it, when I filled out the application, and accepted the job, they all said that if something is not right or if I falsified information, I will be immediately terminated. So should he. Well, of course, he didn't fill out a job application, not that formal one, and there's no provision for terminating him except two years from now, and he's already said he's not going to run again. Let's face it, this guy has has no chance of, of being elected to anything. He's sort of Politically speaking, he's dead man walking in Washington. Nobody wants to deal with him. Nobody trusts him. He's not going to be in any sort of committees. He's being frozen out in his home district. Even the Republicans in in his home district want nothing to do with this guy. He's an absolute and total embarrassment. So part of my question is, and 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 it, it's when you go to Congress, and I've said this before. If I were to go to Congress, I would go with the idea that I want to get stuff done. I'd go with an agenda to accomplish. George Santos has no ability to do anything with that regard. Um, I agree with you completely, but sadly in today's world, it doesn't matter how you get there. It only matters that you do in any field, politics, sports, etc. Just look at the cheating that went on with the Saints and the um, Astros. Jeff, I respect your commentary today on George Santos. The right thing for this man to do is to step down by world standards. I would be considered more of a liberal person in society. However, no matter which political party, Democrat or Republican, there has to be integrity in our leadership. We both know that that is lacking in all areas today. The only way we get there is starting to have people who do the right thing. Um, and so, I, you know, and that's one of the questions, a couple of texters are making that point. It is in an era where we have all the, this opposition research where, you know, somebody says they are going to run for office and the other side immediately, you know, puts a whole bunch of fact checkers on it. With the Internet, it's not necessarily that hard to do. And they look back and they say, OK, this is Jeff Wagner's running for office. So let, let's see. He, he says he graduated from here. and He says he graduated from Marquette Law School. Let's verify that. He says, you know, they work for the U.S. Attorney's Law Office. Let's verify that. It's so 
easy nowadays to verify stuff. And George Santos lied about so much stuff. It is amazing to me that there wasn't some form of opposition research that was out there that started uncovering some of these lies during the campaign. Um, no question about it. Um, let's see. Jeff, this man for, ran for Congress and was elected. He's part of running our government. Don't they do any type of background check to make sure he's not a spy, a fellow traveler, stuff like that? I think it's another bad mark on our government. Well, he, he was able to fool people, and he was able to get away with it. And again, I don't understand why in, in a campaign where you have opposition research that this didn't come out, but now it has, in fact, come out. He has no effectiveness at all. He's never going to be able to get a second term. You can't trust a word that he says. And I again, I, I understand that politicians of both sides puff, embellish, if you want to use the lie, word lie okay maybe some of them lie about aspects of the record i don't know that i've ever seen an elected official maybe you can come up with another example who has so completely and totally lied about everything in his life there doesn't seem to be anything that the guy said that was true i don't even know if his name is george santos for goodness sake <laughs> you know i you know, it's amazing. Jeff, okay, Santos needs to go, but if I was, if this was a liberal, the liberal media would be ignoring this completely, especially knowing the margin in the House was so slim. I don't know. The liberal media might be downplaying it. I don't know. Uh, and, and to give you an idea, again, in the fair is fair category, category Al Franken, Remember Al Franken, the comedian who was elected the senator from Minnesota, who ended up having to resign because these pictures came out of him jokingly, like, groping somebody and things like that. And and this, you know, this it was just too much. And he ended up resigning. The, the, the quote unquote liberal media picked that up and and sort of, you know, roasted him, not just sort of, but did, in fact, roast him. So I, I just I, I got no sympathy for George Santos. He brought on his problems himself and even if it means the Democrats pick up a seat, I think for, as I said, the good of his constituents, the good of the Republican Party, the good of the country, it's more than time for him to go. Is he going to do that? No, he won't. Should he? Absolutely. You know, there are there are mistakes and then there are mistakes that you just don't come back from. And this is one of those stories. This is how Fox 6 reports it. Um, when Nick woke up Thursday morning, he was alone on the bus, parked outside Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino. His mom soon got a text saying he never made it to school. Okay, Nick is um, a child with Down syndrome. Around 7.30 yesterday morning, mom puts Nick on a bus headed for Riverside High School. He's 15 years old. He receives door-to-door bus rides to Riverside High School. All right, so have a nice day. Send him off. 90 minutes later, Nick's teacher sends mom a text saying Nick never made it to class. Can you imagine you know, can you imagine the mom's reaction? You've got a, a child with Down syndrome. You put him on the bus. All right, wave goodbye. And then you get this note saying he didn't get to school. Um, it took four phone calls to Wisconsin Central School Bus and a missing persons report with the Milwaukee police for the mom to find her son. When um, he woke up around 9 a.m., so he had fallen asleep on the bus, 
The bus was parked outside Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino with no one else on board, not even the driver. He said she left me and she never came back. Um, Mom says a stranger saw Nick, called police, and stayed with him until officers arrived. Police say the driver, a 38-year-old woman, was arrested on a child neglect charge. The bus company said the driver was placed on leave, do you think, pending an investigation, noting policies requiring drivers to thoroughly check the bus before leaving it unattended, do you think? So it sounds like what happened is the woman drops the kids off at school, He's sleeping in the the bus. She doesn't check the bus. She then drives directly to Potawatomi um, and goes in to do whatever she's doing at Potawatomi. They don't even have bingo back yet. So she's doing whatever she's doing at Potawatomi. The 15-year-old with Down syndrome wakes up. He's all by himself on the bus. Mom says, my son was abandoned, and that's not okay. She said she'll be driving Nick to school from now on. The school bus company says, um, well, okay, we've, we understand that there is a problem here. Um, we're not commenting on what ultimately happens to the driver. Uh, hint, she gets fired. The Milwaukee Public Schools say that um, we understand that the driver has been terminated by the transportation company and the matter has been reported to the Milwaukee Police Department. I, I don't know whether you charge her with child neglect or not, but... But at the very least, she ends up losing her job. And can you imagine the terror that the mom went through? A lot of consequences attached with apparently the bus driver's rush to get to Potawatomi to play the slots or whatever, assuming that's what she was doing. Speaking of crime, I don't know if you saw this story. Fox 6 News is reporting it. That, um, that they spotted earlier this week, they spotted this rare mandarin duck at at south shore park and it's just something you don't see it's really a a beautiful just a beautiful animal so here's the story a photographer from appleton hears about this this mandarin duck and uh the guy his name is brett balkan and he what he does is he, he he takes photographs of wildlife uh, the Mandarin duck is typically found in Asia. So he hears that, hey, it's down at South Shore Park. So he piles all his photographic equipment into his car, jumps in, and he drives to Milwaukee to uh, snap pictures of this. Okay, so he gets to the South Shore Park. He's there about 45 minutes. He's in um, you know, search of the owls. He parks his truck, right? All of a sudden, he says, I hear, a vehicle, I hear a vehicle come up to a stop behind me. A man gets out of a silver sedan in the parking lot of the St. Francis Seminary. St. Francis Seminary. His face was covered with a bandana. He was holding a rifle. He puts the gun about a foot and a half from my chest. He demands my photographic equipment. I told him no. He then says, is your life worth that equipment? I turned and said, is your life worth it? The man reached into Balkan's truck but was only able to pull out a beanbag. Balkan walked towards him. The man took off. That's when I just froze. I don't know if it was adrenaline. He tried following behind in his truck and called 911, but the guy got away. He said he wanted to warn others, especially photographers. I feel very fortunate. I think God was looking out for me. St. Francis police are searching for the man who threatened and tried to steal him. He believes he was targeted and followed from South Shore Park. Uh, he doesn't recommend doing what he did, and he also doesn't regret driving down to Milwaukee to see the rare duck. This, I mean, this, though, is not an atypical sort of thing. And whenever we talk about crime issues, I am, I am swamped with 
texts from people who've experienced the same thing. Earlier today, we were talking about the segment. You know, my I got a le- text from a lady who said, you know, my husband's a carpenter. They go to these job sites. They come out, you know, their job sites. They've got to leave their equipment and their materials and their tools and stuff in the trunk and the truck of their car. And they're just always, you know, always gone. Um, so... You know, what What can you say? But in this particular case, all's well that ends well. But still, you, you can't even drive to Milwaukee to take pictures of a bird without having something like this happen. All right. Tesla. You know, the all-electric vehicles. Now, Tesla has been in the news a lot lately because Tesla is, of course, owned by Elon Musk. And Elon Musk has been involved in the whole Twitter thing and stuff like that. Here's what Tesla has done. Tesla has Tesla has just slashed the price of its baseline Tesla Model Y crossover by almost 20%, bringing it from like $67,000 down to $52,990. Why do they bring it to 52,9? Well, because there is a tax incentive because Joe Biden wants us all to be driving electric vehicles, there is a tax incentive that if you buy an electric vehicle and the manufacturers and you buy an electric vehicle and you pay $55,000 or less, you can qualify for a $7,500 government tax credit. So what they did is they've cut the price of the, of the Model Y crossover, they cut it 20% to get it to 53 grand, so it's below that limit. Um, Tesla also cut the price of its high performance Model 3 sedan by 14% to get that at $53,990, which makes it also eligible for that $7,500 credit. Now, there's a limit if, you're, if your income is above a certain level, like if you're a joint filer and you make $300,000 or more adjusted gross income, you, you can't qualify for it. But Tesla is obviously trying to cut the prices of these cars in an effort to kind of artificially manipulate it by saying, all right, here, we want to sell these vehicles, and we want to get you that extra. We want to have the taxpayers help pick up your cost. So what we're going to do is we're going to lower the price, in this case 14% or or 20%, so you get below that $55,000 threshold so you can get the extra $7,500. That's what they're doing to try to juice their sales. But at the same time, you're you're still talking about a lot of money because – all right, even if you buy the car for $54,000, you get the $7,500 tax credit. You know, you're still talking about a purchase of, you know, do the math, $46,000, $47,000. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, I, I've said this before. I have no interest in an electric vehicle at this point in time in my life. Maybe there will be a time in my life that that changes. I don't foresee it. I just bought a new car. I'm taking delivery of it in February or March. It's it's not an electric vehicle. I had no interest in an electric vehicle, but that's just me. Tesla cutting the prices dramatically, 20% of some vehicles, so you can get that extra $7,500 off. Will that spur people to buy Teslas, 855-616-1620, or is this kind of a desperation move by the company to fend off competition because 
a lot of other companies are now starting to get into the electric vehicle market in a big way. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. So here is the story. Tesla has just dropped the price of two of its versions of electric vehicles, two models that that retail for around 70 grand. They've now dropped the prices to like 53 and 54,000. Why? Because if you buy a vehicle for 50, electric vehicle for 55,000 or less, you qualify for a $7,500 government tax rebate. So in an effort to move these vehicles, Tesla has dropped the price again by 15,000 bucks or 10,000 bucks or, or whatever. Is this going to inspire people to buy more? And then there's a larger question about this that we'll get to too. Tom in Wapaka. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. I've got a question. I'm a retired uh, blue-collar working-class guy my whole life. Um, We've never been able to afford a new car and never can, never could, and now we can't. But excellent business move on Tesla, and I can see other car companies doing the same thing. Why not to try to generate more business? But, you know, I'm on the hook for that extra 7500 for every person who's wealthy enough to buy a new car and makes a decision. Um, and it, it, it further makes it more impossible for me to ever consider it. Now, I'm like you. Uh, there's no way in, in my life I don't ever want anything to do with it. But in out in a rural area, there's no charging stations. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But Tom, is it legal? No, th- is it actually well, legal for them to keep giving away our money and putting me deeper in the hole and making t- well, now that just took all my rights and privileges away from being able to ever think about it. Tom, um, thank thank yeah. you so much for the call. And I'm I'm glad see you raise what is the larger point of this. And I was gonna kinda get to that, but you just went right to it. Okay, so here here is the deal. Okay, Tom says, Hey, I buy used cars. I, I, I worked all my life my wife and I, we can't afford to buy new cars, okay? This deal, here, here's how it works. You can you can come from a household, if you are a joint filer, so you and your wife, if you make up to $300,000 adjusted gross income, up to $300,000 adjusted gross income, you qualify for this deal, now, explain to me what is wrong with the scenario. Now, I understand Joe Biden wants to get people. He hates you know, he hates the internal combustion engine, and, and we want to encourage and incentivize people for, for buying these cars. But here you have a car that Tesla was selling for like 70 grand, all right? Tesla has artificially dropped the price to 53 grand, so people qualify for that, that $7,500 tax incentive because they think it's going to sell more. But explain to me in what world it is fair for somebody who makes $300,000 a year, adjusted gross income, to have the Toms of the world have to underwrite the purchase of their new $70,000 car, which has now been rebated down to 53, so you can make sure that Tom and everybody else has to contribute to their purchase. In, in what world is, is it fair? I mean, we, we talk about, you know, we talk about regressive stuff. We talk about fairness. In what world is it that it is, 
that we have people who could never afford to buy a new car or who certainly couldn't afford to drop 55000 or 60000 or $70,000 on a new vehicle. But those people are underwriting somebody who makes three hundred grand a year who might have a couple million dollars sitting in their savings account. We're paying for those electric vehicles. In what world could that possibly be fair? Oh, oh yeah, it, it's kind of Joe Biden's world. It's this idea that we want to get everybody into electric vehicles, and if we have to screw over a bunch of other taxpayers to do it, we're going to do it. Now, do I think this will work? I, I don't think it's going to work big time. I mean, candidly, if you were if you were in the market for an electric vehicle and you could afford a sixty-five thousand or seventy-five seventy thousand dollar Tesla, that that extra seventy-five hundred dollars is you know that you're going to get in the tax break. That's 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 probably a good thing, and maybe it makes you a little more inclined to pull the trigger and buy the car. I think there's still a lot of people that it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I don't care if I can get the Tesla. I don't care if I can get it for forty five thousand or fifty or fifty five thousand. I'm just flat not interested. At this, I have no interest in that electric car. And for some people who are price sensitive. Um, I think they're going to probably be looking at perhaps some of the lesser expensive cars that are, you know, out there. But how in the world, how in the world can can you justify saying you make two hundred and fifty thousand or up to three hundred thousand dollars, and we're going to have the taxpayers underwrite your cost of an expensive luxury car? Can I see a show of hands here? I'm willing to bet that the vast majority, let me see a show of hands. Okay, who has purchased a new car that costs more than $55,000? Well, okay, there's there's a couple hands that go up. I mean, okay, you you've got the Mercedes and okay, you you've got the you've got the uh, BMW. Okay, there. But most people, most normal people aren't paying $55,000 for a car if they can afford to buy the new car, right? That's just where we are now. Now, maybe you can ex- get some of those really expensive trucks, but as far as cars, SUVs, no, that's not where the average person is. But in our effort to try to force and rush people into these electric vehicles, we are now subsidizing really, really wealthy people from making these purchases. Jeff, doesn't Joe Biden own a Corvette? That's where the files were found. Yeah, Joe Biden owns a Corvette. There's no question about it. Um, Jeff, when is the government going to get out of the auto industry and out of the taxpayer's pocket? And of course, this initiative comes from a guy who's got a muscle car sitting in his garage. That is, of course, the other ultimate irony. Jeff, when Biden trades in his Corvette, maybe I will consider the electric vehicle then. Ouch. Joe, when, when, Jeff, hey, Jeff, when is Joe going to sell his Corvette and buy an electric one? That's a very, very good question. Um, Jeff, what does Joe have in that vet for power? Is it powered by solar? Um, okay, there you go. You've got that. Um, Jeff, with Tesla, what about regular maintenance? Limited places to have the work done. Um, Jeff, so you're telling me that Joe Biden hates the internal combustion engines. It's getting about eight miles a gallon and his Corvette. Yes, I think that that's um, that's it. Jeff, I'd be pretty upset about this if I just bought one for $70,000. Well, yeah, you've got that element, that too. Jeff, last night, NBC5 News on Chicago had a segment of why buying a Tesla may not be a good idea. They claim the Tesla is too heavy due to its large battery, and that makes it dangerous for everyone in case of an accident. Yeah, I, I have look, I have nothing against... 
I have nothing against Tesla one way or or the other. There's more competition now and there uh, for that, but that, I mean it, it doesn't matter. The prices could come down. I could qualify for that $7,500 tax rebate, and I'll tell you, I'm I'm still. I'm still buying the car with the internal combustion engine. The vehicle that I, I've ordered, that I say I'm getting, you know, they, they make it an electric version, and the salesperson said, you interested in the electric version? I said, nope, let's move on. <laughs> let's talk about what I want in the old-fashioned car. Maybe someday, but but not now. And that $7,500 isn't going to be enough of an incentive. But again, the larger point behind all this is, why should we be paying this in the first place? Um, just asking. Okay, uh, before we before the top of the hour news, I just I want to switch gears and just offer one one comment. If you if you haven't seen the news, uh, Lisa Marie Presley, who was the daughter of Elvis Presley, passed away yesterday or this morning at the age of fifty four. And I, I don't have much to say beyond on this beyond the fact that ah, you can just it was an interesting life. I mean, if if you are below a certain age, you probably don't realize what what a figure Elvis Presley was and how how significant and how important Elvis Presley was. And I can remember, I mean, I can remember, he passed away in 1977 when she was nine years old. I mean, I was a kid, but I can remember when she was born. And th- this was, I mean, big news all over. And I can only imagine what, she had a very, very troubled life. Now, I Understand? Sometimes it's it's difficult to feel too much sympathy. Gee, we feel sad for Prince um, for Prince Harry. You know, growing up as the you know his, his older brother was going to be the king, and he was just was so awful to grow up as a royal. Eh, not too much sympathy there, and he's been trying to make money whining about it. From the perspective of Lisa Marie Presley, I, I think she grappled a lot with a lot of the demons that come up with being the child of just not just a famous, but an incredibly famous you know, figure um, who had revolutionized music in many respects and who passed away much too young, you know, in, in his in his 40s. And so I, I'm sure that there was this awful burden of that. And I, I think she had a number of problems over the years. She went through four marriages. She was married to Nicolas Cage. She was married briefly to Michael Jackson. Um, lots and lots of different issues. But, you know, she passes away at the age of 54. Uh, they still haven't gone into great detail as to what the medical condition was. But for all those of us who remember the news stories when she was born and have kind of, for at least from the sidelines, watched her life as she's grown up, you have to think, man, it's just 54 is way, 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 way too young to pass away. Lisa Marie Presley, daughter of Elvis Presley, dead at the age of 54, sail on. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by Palermo's, coming up at the bottom of the hour. The One of the big stories this week is, is a classic example of how well, sometimes you shoot off your mouth and, and things can just backfire in a bad way. The Consumer Product Safety Commission, and the head of that is a guy named, it's a Biden appointee, a guy named Richard Trumka. And earlier this week, he announced that his agency was going after gas stoves. And he said, everything is on the table. 
We're going to be looking at these gas stoves, and when I say everything, we mean everything up to and including banning the manufacture of gas stoves. So no new gas stoves. Now, there's two reasons for this. One is the fact that, again, you have all these eco-warriors out there who do not like natural gas. That's why, as we talked about, in, in California, for example, there are some communities where if you build new construction, you, you can't put a natural gas furnace in. You can't put a natural gas water heater in. You can't put a natural gas stove in. There's You can't put a natural gas fireplace in because they, they don't like natural gas because, again, you, you've got you know, you've got to drill and you've got to produce this natural gas and they'd rather have you use electricity or they'd actually love to have you use solar or wind power, but that's not really practical. So you'd rather have you use electricity. Now, again, a lot of the eco-warriors forget how electricity is generated, but that's, that's another story. So reason number one is the fact that, again, they don't want you to use natural gas. And that's why if you buy, if you, if you have a gas stove and you change over to an electric, you can, you can get like an $800 tax rebate or something like that. The other reason that is given is concern that gas stoves may be dangerous. And there, by dangerous, I mean there is a report that, that's out that was issued by UCLA and the Sierra Club, which tells you, you know, where these people are coming from, that there's an association between gas appliance use and health, including furnaces and water heaters. And there, there is a concern that, especially for kids, maybe if you have a gas furnace or a gas stove or a gas water heater, that could, and I say could, you know, lead to increased terms, increased usage of uh, asthma, like in kids and stuff. There's not a direct correlation right now and they really don't have the data that supports saying hey if you've got a gas stove in your house that guarantees that you're going to develop asthma or something like that but the thinking is well the gas stove produces more uh, again emissions than say an electric stove would so there's the potential that this could cause a problem now i'm willing to bet that there are those of you who grew up around electric sto- around gas stoves for your entire life with gas furnaces and with gas fireplaces and with gas water heaters and and you have no breathing problems or all at all or to the extent you have a breathing problem it's not caused by this but this is the concern that's out there so anyhow the, the threat was made originally we're going to look at everything is on the table that was the phrase we're going to look at at banning gas stoves well that went over like a lead balloon huge huge outrage from people who just first of all didn't think it was the government's business and secondly you know didn't want the government in their their kitchens so now now they are backing off they're saying okay well we're we're, we're not talking about banning the manufacturer of these gas stoves but manufacture of gas stoves but what we want to do is we want to take a hard look at determining whether or not these are dangerous or how dangerous they are our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, here is here, my question. Again, I'm looking at a story in the New York Times today. Gas stoves are tied to health concerns. Here's how to lower your risk. And, um, again, they, they, 
emissions from gas stoves have been connected to an increased risk for childhood asthma, among other things. And then you, it says you can mitigate the effects. And it talks about how if you've got a gas stove, the key is ventilation. And it, to the extent there's any problem at all, if, if you've got a hood with a fan, that's going to take care of the problem. If you've got a well-ventilated kitchen, that's going to take care of the problem. But nevertheless, the pitch now is, all right, gas stoves might have this issue. People might want to reconsider whether they have them. Let's forget about the government threat to ban them. Let's take that off the table for a minute. Are you concerned about your gas stove? And would you consider replacing your gas stove with an electric one? If you are buying a new house, would you, or building a new house, would you look to put an electric stove in instead of a gas stove? How concerned are you about, I don't know, childhood asthma threats because of a gas stove? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Because this isn't the government. This is, this is an individual choice that you can make. In the scheme of everything that you could be worried about and household threats, is it enough to make you want to get rid of your gas stove? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, let let's move away from the, the government telling you that you can't buy a new gas stove. They they say they recognize that there's no public support for that at all. About forty percent of the stoves in the United States are gas, and and people who love gas stoves love them. But the government's saying there's a possibility that this could be linked to health concerns. So you know. Maybe you want to rethink having a gas stove in the first place. All right. Are you concerned about this? Let's start with Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Good afternoon. Um, Hi, I am not concerned. My, I grew up, my dad's 91. My mom's 87. They had a farm. We grew up on gas stoves. Um, I just think it's ridiculous. I think they keep poking the dog. And trying to divert and find something else to crab about, or, or you know, they drop the bomb and then people start freaking out. I, I just, it's such a joke. I well, mean, I mean, I, I, I guess I do look at this and I say, okay, gas stoves have been part of our life since there were stoves, and I, I just, absolutely. I guess, I find it difficult to believe that you have enormous numbers of people who are dying or are subjected to lifetime breathing, lifetime breathing problems because they they grew up around a gas stove, and especially Chris, since you know nowadays the stoves are different. My, my grandmother's gas stove used to have those pilot lights that were always <laughs> on. You know right. now now yeah, you know right. now it's now it's different. I mean you know my hot water heater it's my hot water heater my water heater it, it's you know the ignition it comes on when you, when it needs to come on. It's not like you have the thing that's going all the time. I just. I, I, you know, I guess we're, we're going to die from something, I guess. And I, I just don't think it's exactly. going to be my gas stove. <laughs> that's and that's my just me. Oh, yeah. And I, it, yeah it's, so how did he make it this long? Eating my mom's cooking on a gas stove. <laughs> he's 91. And he still drives. He still functions perfectly. So, you know, okay. So what next? 
Yeah, thanks yeah. for the call. I appreciate it. No, Jeff, good gravy. I've got an electric stove in the house I just bought. As soon as I can afford to get the kitchen remodeled, that stove goes on the scrap heap, and I'm getting gas. I have a good range hood. I'm not in the least concerned for anybody's health. Keep the government out of my kitchen. Well, right, that, see, that's the simple answer. If you are one of these people that believes and, and buys into the, the fear aspect of this, it, it, it's all about ventilation. And if you put on a, a hood... You, you pretty much, even I think the most, the most extreme doom and gloomers, if you put on a hood with a fan and you vent it, I think even they would tell you, okay, that takes care of all of the problems. Jeff, I unfortunately have an electric stove. Wish I could have a gas stove. Jeff, should we now sue all the companies that make gas stoves? What is wrong with our government? Don't you understand? It's our government, and, and they want... They want, again, they want to to help you here. I mean, I I just, seriously, I wonder about this. I have a gas fireplace. I love the gas fireplace. The flame is always on. So now I, I'm wondering, okay, what's what's going to happen? Or are we going to come in and say, okay, well, you know, this is the next thing that's going to kind of do you in, and we have to wring our hands and we have to worry about this. Jeff, do they want to get, get rid of gas grills as well, or is the issue using gas indoors? Well, this particular issue is using gas in, indoors. Although they use the health excuse, I think health is, again, it's the stalking point. I think what's really going on is just like they're doing in California, there is this school of thought. It's the eco-warriors who say, gas bad, natural gas bad, because they have to drill to get natural gas. And we would rather have, we'd rather have you heating your homes and running your stoves based on solar power or whatever. Good luck with that in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or southeastern Wisconsin in January or February. You know, good luck with all that stuff. But that's what I think the real agenda is wrapped around this, okay, we're going to try to make it as a matter of health. But okay, I'm curious, how worried are you? Because candidly, there's all sorts of things that I worry about. I worry about my weight. I worry about, you know, my my blood sugar, worry about all sorts of stuff. I'm not going to worry, frankly, about whether the stove is gas or it's electric. Um, 855-616. Jeff, I have asthma. Scented laundry and perfume bothers me much more than gas. Um, let's see, Jeff, I'm a 40 year gas utility employee that has worked on and run thousands of stoves. I'm 65 years old and still, and still running them. I feel absolutely great. Um, no question about it. Let's talk to Julie in Kenosha. Julie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? You ready to bail on your gas stove? Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, Here's the story. I have a gas stove, and I love it. Um, I have a gas water heater. Um, Here's the situation. When you look at what um, asthma is caused by, it's, it's caused by genetics. It's caused by... Being overweight is caused by an allergic condition. It's caused by being a smoker. Um, it's not caused by gas stoves. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, it's not. <laughs> it's just yeah. not. Right, right, and I guess maybe, just maybe, if you, let's say you had you had a child in the house that had an extreme 
condition with regard to asthma or things like that. Okay, maybe in that maybe in that situation, if you've got the gas stove, you'd want to consider making sure that there was a vent or, or whatever. But why you right. would say to most people, hey, you got to get rid of your stoves, go with the electric route. It's like, oh my gosh, with all the different things that are out there that are going to kill us, uh, Julie, I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's, that's not at the top of my list. That's not at number 200 on my list. It's not. And the, the interesting thing is natural gas has got domestic availability, relatively yep. low cost. It's got an emissions benefit. Um, right. Natural gas is a good source of it's one of right. the most cheapest and cleanest fossil fuels. Yeah. And it's um, plentiful. So, yeah, it's plentiful. No, yeah, thank, thanks to Cole Julie. And You're I, right. It, it's I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. It, it's it's plentiful. It, it's there. But again, the eco warriors don't like that because they, they want us all to be doing everything on wind power, which just is not realistic here. One of our textures makes the same point I was raising earlier. Jeff, the old gas stoves had a standing pilot light that was on all the time. New gas stoves have electronic ignition. It's just a basic scare tactic from some of the eco warriors. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you've got that there. Um, Jeff, um, I think there's a worry about banning cigarettes first over banning gas stoves. A lot more health issues created from cigarettes and smoking than a gas stove. Jeff, this is another example of big government. Um, (laughs) What can you say? Jeff, I think ventilation should be required to the outside, but you're not getting rid of gas. Well, to me, Am I, am I, I'm trying to think, well, we, we have an electric stove at, at our house. It just, it, it just came with it. I've had gas stoves. I've had electric stoves. I, I, I am not the person that cooks in the family. I will tell you, though, that everybody I talk to says cooking is easier and more effective on, on a gas stove, that it's easy to, easier to regulate heat. It's easier to get the high heats. Now, I don't claim to be an expert on that. I just understand that if the government's going to come and tell me that I'm not supposed to have something and something that I've grown up with and lived with for most of my life, I'm not allowed to have, they, they've got to have some pretty compelling evidence other than we don't like gas. We want to get people away from gas. So we're going to use this stalking horse of, of health. If you've got a concern with that, make sure you have proper ventilation. The entire issue goes away. Keep the government out of our kitchens. So very glad to have you with it. I was just during the course of a program to give you an idea, uh, a slow day on the show would be 300 texts. A busy day would be twice that. You know, I'm just talking about my program. So, you know, I, I kind of scan these, and, and there, there are some people who text more than once, and I, I appreciate that. And most of the people offer, I, I don't know, you could agree or disagree. That's fine. And I read texts that disagree with me. I think that's what makes it an interesting conversation. And then, then there's just the people that, that text to be, I don't know, to be jackwagons. And, of course, in, in China, in Chinese New Year this year, it's, it's going to be the year of the rabbit. Well, on, on my program, I've declared this to be the year of, like, the no jackwagons. And if you just continue to be a jackwagon, whether it's on the text line or the phone line or the tweet lines, you know, I, I just I give people fair warning. I mean, prepared to be ignored or ridiculed or mocked or blocked. It's just that's kind of the rule. I was just counting. There's this one person. I counted 11 nasty texts since 2 o'clock, since 12 o'clock. 11 
and my comment was, 11 nasty texts in a little over two hours. Perhaps someone has a little too much time on their hands. It's kind of like, really? This is how you spend your time? I've never understood it because if there was something that I didn't agree with or didn't like or whatever, I just... I turn the channel. That's the amazing thing about radios and turn the dial. But instead, we know you get the snarky texts after a while. So, yeah. So most people, most people, I I think, you know, it's very intelligent conversation and people want to contribute. And I appreciate that. Um, Jeff, we don't need to get rid of gas stoves. We need to get rid of the eco warriors. They have extreme views and are given too loud a voice. And I bet they are in the minority of all of us with common sense. I think that that's certainly an element there. Jeff, eliminate gas stoves and there goes a great steak restaurant. Right. That's I mean, I just don't think people are going to do this voluntarily. Bottom line is no matter how much the government tries to scare you into this, I just think it is a bridge too far. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Uh, Robbie Knievel, who is the son of Daredevil Evil Knievel, he passed away. They're just announcing he passed away today at the age of 60. Man, um, you know, wow, just 60. Um, Okay, this is sponsored by Palermo's Pizza. Um, We have a prize package that Palermo's gives out every week. Um, One caller in the exclusive uh, discretion of my producer, Charlie, gets our Palermo's Pizza prize package. Try saying that three times quickly, which includes um, a coupon good for a couple of Palermo's pizzas. Try their stuffed crust pizza. It's absolutely outstanding. And a fancy pizza cutter and a number of other things as well. So it's tremendous. That's exclusively in Charlie's uh, discretion as to you know who ends up winning that. It is a caller, though, not somebody on our text line. Uh, on Pop Culture Corner, if you're new to the show, we take... This is the time of the day and the time of the week that we step aside from all the heavy lifting and we stop talking about the documents in Joe Biden's garage and the government's attempt to get into your kitchen and whether or not George Santos should retire and all the different um, issues with regard to crime in Milwaukee. And what we discuss is something fun. And sometimes it comes from the world of sports. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's travel. Sometimes um, music, sometimes TV, sometimes movies. It just depends on kind of what what has uh, attracted my attention during the course of the week. Earlier this week, before we got around to talking about Lisa Marie Presley passing away, the other announcement was a guy named Jeff Beck passed away. Now, if you are a music fan from the 60s and 70s, chances are that you ran across Jeff Beck. Um, Jeff Beck was with the Yardbirds. Um, He had actually replaced Eric Clapton with with the Yardbirds. Then he had his own band, and Rod Stewart, before Rod Stewart went on and and made it big with faces and things like that, Jeff Beck was the Jeff Beck band, and he was a singer. Jeff Beck is generally recognized as perhaps the greatest guitar player of, of rock and roll history. Now, he, he never got the, the fame and the acclamation that some people got because he, he, was never, he was never with a band that became really incredibly popular. And, and he, he'd have different bands, and then they'd break up for a variety of reasons. He also, 
He's not somebody who actively went out and, and sought rock celebrity. But he passed away this week at the age of 75. And there are a number of people who believe that Jeff Beck is, like I say, he, he's, he's the greatest rock and roll musician in history. I thought for this week, in recognition of the passing of Jeff Beck, what we would do is I, I call the segment, That Boy Can Play. Now, let me say, I don't mean to be sexist in this, but for Pop Culture Corner this week, and our number is 855-616-1620, my question is this, who's the best, greatest rock and roll musician of all time? It can be a guitar player, it can be a drummer, it can be a guy, it can be a gal, but I call the segment, That Boy Can Play. When you think of the like a seminal, a premier musician, and there's a whole wide variety that you can draw from, but who would that musician be? Some people might think Jeff Beck. You might think it's somebody else. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. That boy can play the best musician in rock and roll history. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. I kind of botched this at the beginning. So let's reset, make sure I give Palermo's their due. It's Pop Culture Corner time, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. Um, Palermo's Pizza, great way to celebrate any event. Delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 35 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. And as always, every week, and they've renewed for another year, all this year, Wagner's Pop Culture Corner presented by Palermo's Pizza, Jeff Beck passed away earlier this week some people think he's he's the greatest rock and roll guitarist of all time uh, I, I don't want to limit the conversation to just guitar players but my question is who do you think is the greatest rock and roll musician of all time <clears throat> to me one of the one of the things is there are some musicians that it is so distinctive that the minute you hear the first couple chords you say I know who's playing that tune. I, I, or you, you hear the drum solo and you say, I know who's on the drums. And you can just tell because some of them have such distinctive styles. Let us start with Tony in Fond du Lac. Tony, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I got a couple, actually, but I, Hendrix had to be one of the best guitar players ever, uh-huh. in my opinion. Um, then I also loved Eddie Van Halen. For guitar right. and Slash from Guns N' Roses. And then, as drummers go, hands down, Neil Peart from Rush. Neil Peart from Rush. Yeah, well, we'll, well yeah, thanks. We'll, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later on, Tony. But, yeah, I mean, Jimi Hendrix, Hendrix, and as I'm, we are, of course, as always, we're being swamped with stuff on the text line, and a lot of people are, are mentioning, again, Jimi Hendrix, taken way too soon, but just a phenomenal, a phenomenal guitar player. And he's one of those people who, again, you hear you hear the, the riffs, and you can tell that's Jimi Hendrix playing the guitar. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got uh, Craig in Horicon. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I, you know, I'd say the easy answer would be Paul McCartney playing all them different instruments, but one that wrote, sang, played drums, guitars, everything was Prince. I was never a great fan when uh, I was a teenager, but uh, I, I've actually come to really appreciate what he did. Mm-hmm. And then his after concerts 
where he would go and play the, you know, little bars and dives. Uh, mm-hmm. He really lived for the music. Yeah, Craig, thanks for the call. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people, they think of Prince as a vocalist and they think of Prince as a performer. But if you if you listen to some of, of his music, you can really appreciate how talented he was, and not just a guitarist, but you know Prince plays you know all he plays all the different instruments, which is amazing. Again, that's just amazing to me how how you have some of these people who are so talented that they can they can play everything. Let's talk to um, Fred in Libertyville. Fred, you're on WTMJ. How you doing, guys? Hey, I got to go uh, with the hometown boy, Tommy Morello. We got a lot of rock and rollers at Libertyville High School. Adam Jones, a <laughs> tool, and Matt Snell, five-finger death punch. But I'm going to go with Tommy Morello and on guitar. Thanks for the call, Fred. Tommy Morello, of course, Rage Against the Machine, where he is perhaps most famous. I mean, that's what I think best known for. <clears throat> but again, if you listen... I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe it's not Rage Against the Machine is perhaps not as accessible as I don't know some of the you know when for example when you hear the Rolling Stones um, you know you can tell you know who who the guitar players are and things like that and you can say okay well this is you know this this is I, I know that's who that is Rage Against the Machine a little bit more difficult but an incredible musician. Let's talk to uh, Steve in Wabano. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Great topic. Hey. My 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 favorite rock musician of all time is a driving beat behind the Who, Keith Moon. My God, was that guy an awesome drummer? Plus, his antics are completely legendary <laughs> in the annals of rock and roll. Yeah, you know, if I were, if I were to sit there and say, okay, give, give me the the top three drummers of all time. Um, I'd probably have, you know, I'd have, I've had, I'd have Neil Peart in there from Rush. I'd have John Bonham, and I'd have Keith Moon. <laughs> you know, and and I'd say, okay, go, go figure out what the, you know, what the order is going to be. But all three of them were just absolutely tremendous. Fantastic, thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Let's talk to Beverly and Slinger. Beverly, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey there, Jeff. Say, I was telling your producer. This is really hard for me. I thought of Brian May from Queen. I thought of yep. Jimi Hendrix, of course. But then the person that just always makes me stop, especially if you can see a video or see him live, is Joe Walsh. <laughs> I, I'd have to go with Joe Walsh. <laughs> He's well, and of course, and of course, Joe Walsh is famous for de- he's famous for destroying hotel rooms. <clears throat> you know, he he's a legend exactly. for doing that as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yes, the interesting thing about that's what I mean, his antics are something else. But when he plays, he is so into he is so into his playing that right. it's it's just enjoyable watching him. Well, I mean, to to give you Beverly, kind of tying into what I was saying earlier, when you hear. Um, Rocky Mountain, uh, whatever the, the you know when when you hear him launch into that, oh, you yeah. can you can yeah. tell that you know you you can tell that that's that is a Joe Walsh song, 
And, you know, he, he mm-hmm. performs that in a way that, you know, nobody else does. You know, it's it's just he, he is incredible. And by the way, my producer must agree with you because you are the winner of our Palermo's prize package for uh, for today. You get a couple Yay. pizzas and a pizza color and all that a pizza cut and all that sort of stuff. Beverly, great choice. Thank yeah. you so very much for listening and Slinger. I appreciate it. OK, let's talk to uh, let's see, Danny in Janesville. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. Best musician of all uh, time. Well, being a musician myself, um, the man that I've always worshipped as God was Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. Just a, a madman on the piano, right? Well, mostly, it's like the main reason I worship him so much is not only was he a stylist, you know, and the idea that nobody ever played like him and nobody ever will, but the idea that he was able to switch switch genres, you know, where at first he's a rock and roller, then he gets blacklisted from the marriage to his cousin, and all of a sudden he comes back a few years later in the country world. So yeah. he's number one in the rock charts. He's number one in the country charts. And then all of a sudden, you know, 50 years later, boom, he has another resurgence, and he's back on the pop charts again. And, you know, it's like, wow, the guy yeah. just amazing. Yeah. No, he is. Thanks for the call, Danny. He's just absolutely tremendous. Um, Rocky Mountain Way was the song I was trying to think of. But Joe Walsh has just, you you know, you, you hear the, the first couple lines of Rocky Mountain Way, and, you know, that, that's a Joe Walsh song. And by the way, I'm I'm a big fan of Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, you know, he yes, he got blacklisted because he married his cousin, and she was 12 or 13 years old, and that'll do it to you every time. But, yeah, I mean, she was just in, in – he was an incredible – incredible performer okay let's uh let me just go through a couple of our texts we're swamped here uh jeff lennon mccartney both i mean uh paul you know paul mccartney he played all the instruments and he was just incredibly talented as well i just got done reading a book on uh creedence clearwater revival and you know it, it, it was a kind of a quick read sort of a popcorn book but that's what john fogarty ended up doing too i mean john fogarty who was the driving force at one point in time he just he taught himself he actually didn't like the way some of his bandmates were doing stuff, so he taught himself all the different musicians and he, the different things, and he played all the stuff. Yeah, a couple of our texters are mentioning B.B. King, and that's that's clearly, um, you know, B.B. King, if you want to talk about somebody playing the blues, B.B. King, again, it's it's distinctive. You can listen to some of his riffs, and you can know right away it's him. Jeff, for me, it's Ted Nugent. Yeah, Ted Nugent. Uh, I think that would be great. Um, Jeff, I loved how Walter Becker played great guitar for years with Steely Dan. Yeah, you listen to <clears throat> a lot of the riffs on some of the the best Steely Dan songs, and and Walter Becker never he he never got the I think acclaim that maybe some of his contemporaries did, but an incredible incredible performer. A uh, Phil Collins, a drummer singer with Genesis. You know Phil Collins, who um, you know took over took over drumming you know um sort of later in his career and did just a tremendous job jeff somebody says tom petty uh tom petty was it number of people are mentioning uh and if i if i was going to look at, at guitar players um i think clearly in my top three would be eddie van halen eddie van halen incredibly distinctive as, as well one of those things again where you you listen to 
the, the first couple chords and you say this is this is Eddie Van Halen from the Eddie Van Halen band. A couple people are mentioned incorrectly, Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, and a number of people talking about Neil Peart, who is the drummer from Rush. Once again, extremely distinctive. Can't disagree with that at all. A um, number of people mentioning Prince. Um, clearly, I think that's uh, he, he's just he's just an incredible incredible as well. Bruce Hornsby from Bruce Hornsby and the Rage. Got to think that one through. But um, it is it is just amazing to me, and, and this is from somebody who appreciates music but has no musical talent themselves. I'm just always blown away by how talented a lot of these people are. So in honor of the passing or in recognition of the passing of Jeff Beck, when you're listening to some music this weekend, don't, don't just listen to the words. If it's a song you know, listen to some of the guitar riffs or the drum solos or the bass parts or whatever and appreciate how talented those people are that is, are making that music and then decide for yourself who you think is the uh, best musician of all time. That's it for Pop Culture Corner this week. Sorry we couldn't get to the jam phone lines and sorry I couldn't read all the texts that have come in. Wagner's Pop Culture Corner is always presented by Palermo's Pizza. Thanks for participating in Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Tune in next week as Jeff Wagner explores another pop culture topic.